Well, welcome everyone to the eight. This talk, like these notes that I have of this talk, I know will come in handy for sure. It's a guarantee it will come in handy later on in my life, I, I know. But uh, before we kind of get into today's topic, I just want to kind of recap as we're on part four of a series titled Emotions. So our first week we, titled, we looked at how to be emotionally healthy requires us to know ourselves. We looked at a beautiful quote by a North African church father by the name of St. Augustine. He says, how can I know God unless I know myself? So for, in order for me to be able to progress and for me, in order for me to be emotionally healthy, I have to know who I am in order to pursue God. This allows me to be the fullest version of who I am divinely designed to be. And we looked at an example of someone who was emotionally unhealthy and how that led to his legacy not being much of a legacy at all. We looked at Saul. He allowed a bitterness, a grudge, his emotionally unhealthiness, destroy his life and him being king. So it really utterly destroyed his legacy. The second week, we looked at how to cut through the obstacles of our life, how we can be emotionally healthy in different, like through brokenness of people around us and our family, so forth and so on. And the person that we looked at who's a great icon of being emotionally healthy is King David the prophet. He was so emotionally healthy that he was very vulnerable, in touch with his emotions. You can say in the 20, 2022 that he was in his feelings. But um, he's a great icon of how to be emotionally healthy. Last week, we had a very difficult conversation of looking at generational habits. Looking at generational habits. Because you and I are molded by our upbringing, what we were exposed to, what we saw marriage maybe in our family, maybe, maybe the lack thereof. But the things that we saw in our upbringing has a tremendous impact on our emotional health. And it is up to us to be able to analyze that, to assess that, to, to, to analyze how we were brought up to stop generational habits from moving on to the next generation. So there's a tremendous amount of weight on us to be able to do that. But today, today's topic that we're talking about in order to achieve emotional health is not the most attractive topic. But it is something in which we need to have a good, healthy conversation about here at the AIDS and in Life Group in order to attain emotional health, which is grief. Grief. Loss. It's not necessarily the death of a loved one or, or someone close to us necessarily. Grief can look in, in a wide array of different ways. It can look like losing a coworker in which you might have had for a very long period of time. It could be uh, a boss. It could be you moving, and, you ha and there's a grief in the loss of, mo of moving past your old social circle or moving your old city and moving on to a new one. There's a natural grief that exists in there. Yes, I get it. We might not naturally use the word grief, but the, truly, the essence of grief is also found in all these different aspects of life. It's not necessarily just the death or passing of someone close or loved by us, and, and grief can look uh, or can be there as an emotion and a wide array of different aspects of our life. But in American culture, we hate grief. We hate grief. Actually, because we can make up this fake word and say that we are grief-phobic. We, we do not know how to embrace grief. We run away from it. I mean, think about it. Most people who, who uh, may be non-Christian funerals, for example, the overwhelming notion that is being celebrated is their life. We just celebrate their life, celebrate their life, celebrate their life, because we do not know how to, that's good, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's a good thing. 
But we do not know how to process emotion. We do, not, uh, we do not know how to process grief. We try to cover it up. Because in American culture, we want things to be moving up and to the right. Everything is up to the right. Not only our finances, not only stocks, we want everything moving up to the right. We want things to move forward, move forward, move forward. We want to go, go, go. So when it comes to this natural mindset in America, that transfers over to how we process grief. We do not know how to slow down and process these emotions when we do lose someone, when we are adjusting to a new city or we do lose a friend, a coworker, someone's death, you name it. We do not know how to process grief because in American culture, we like things to ascend and progress moving forward. So what we do in our grief-phobic American culture, we stay busy. We maybe to cope with our grief, Addictions come into play. Maybe I never used to drink. Drinking now is a thing, and I'm cope and this is my coping mechanism when it comes to grief. Maybe sexual addictions come into play more because this is how I cope with grief. So we naturally lean on other things to cope with our grieving as opposed to pausing, analyzing our grief, but we lean on other addictions and other things or we just keep on moving on moving forward keeping busy pack up our calendar to be able to move forward at a psychological level most psychologists would say there are five stages of grief there are five stages of grief in which we all have to go through at a psychological level they are denial anger bargaining depression and then eventually acceptance so we have to go through these steps. So even when we are grieving, we cannot just continue to say, oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, everything's fine. Yeah, I'm with you. It's okay to say thank God. We should say, yeah, thanks God. But at the same time, I need to process these emotions. They're, they're, this is how we are divinely wired from God. So we need to be able to process this grief, this emotion in a healthy way in order to attain emotional health. So I got a psychological level. There are five stages of grief. But I also want to bridge that psychological discipline also to the one who understood life, grief, pain, loss so well, which is Jesus. And this is why we're here, my friends, is we're trying to attain emotional health, not just from a psychological level, not just from some self-help books, but to connect to the one who is the source of our life, the one who loves us more than we are able to comprehend. The one who is the remedy to our ache and our lives. I want to share with you three phases. Three phases of grief. And as we go through these three phases, I want to share with you how are these are rooted into the liturgical life of the first century church. So if this is your first time here, a first time listening or watching this, this, the eight is us being able to renew and reset our life through the lens of a pre-denominational Christian church, which is the Orthodox Church. So as we look at three phases of grief from, from a Christological lens, we want to connect it to the first century church and how we can connect and bridge the psychological component and connect that to the first century church. So when we are going through grief and trying to cope and process a loss, the first thing we have to do is the obvious. Pay attention to it. Analyze how you are feeling. It's okay. Like, process that. 
Do not try to run through it. And definitely, if we apply this to someone's death, in the beginning, there's still a shock, and it's just going through logistics, who's coming to town, the funeral, all this kind of stuff. But I'm saying, at, at a broader scheme, if we look at a, at a higher timeline, we need to be able to pay attention to how we are feeling and let out those emotions for them not to be bottled in. Because just at a scientific level, biologically speaking, it causes severe damage to our biology when we do not pay attention to it. So we do need to pay attention to it. I want to share with you an ancient Jewish proverb. It's from the Bible, Ecclesiastes. This words of wisdom here from King Solomon. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a time to tear down and there's a time to build. Biologically speaking, this is how muscles are made. There's a time for the muscle to rip. And there's a time for the muscle to build. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn and there is a time to dance. So there is a time for everything under heaven. For us not to just skip a piece and just move on to the next. We do need to process our emotions. And let me just say this. Maybe you have someone close to you or a friend or maybe somebody in, in your church family who did lose someone. And you do not, how do, how do, I, do I call them? Do I text them? Like, what do I say? Do I do not say anything at all? How do I address it? So I want to share with you something that, that, that we can do when someone is going through a loss. The question of how are you doing can be overwhelming for someone who is processing a loss. It's a heavy question for many people. But you can ask them, how are you doing right now? How are you doing right now? To help them to share their emotions in order for them to gain emotions. Because sometimes we take a step back, I don't know how to do it, let me just text them, I don't know what to say, don't say anything at all, right? And we don't know what to say. But a nice Orthodox tradition, by the way, this is off topic, but a nice Orthodox tradition, when someone does pass, a, a nice phrase that we say is, may his or her memory be eternal. When someone passes, we say, may their memory be eternal. We're saying we want their memory to continue. We want their memory to be eternal. How are you doing right now? Right? Sometimes we say, how are you doing? You're doing all right? Let me know if you need anything. All right, take care. Right? That, that, we just kind of want to check a box when we're trying to be there for someone. But a way in which we can be emotionally healthy ourselves, be there for someone at a genuine level, is to ask them, how are you doing right now? But for us who might be grieving, or we, I, you know what's a guarantee? You know what's a guarantee in everyone in this room, regardless of where you might stand right now with Jesus, you know what's a guarantee? All of us will go through grief. All of us will go through grief. It's a guarantee. So this is an applicable message for all of us at some season of life. But how do we process that grief? This is what we're here talking about. So I need to pay attention. It's okay for me to mourn. It's okay for me to let out my a wide array of emotions. I need to process it. I need to pay attention to it. There is an entire book in the Bible purely about paying attention to grief. And that book is called Book of Lamentations. It's purely about someone processing his emotions and going through all of that. So there, if there's an entire book, if the church fathers who put the different books together in what we know now as being called the Bible, th there has been an intentional reason of why there's an entire book of processing grief. Because the first century church, the Orthodox church, understood how essential it is for us to process grief in order for us to be emotionally healthy spiritually. Even Jesus himself processed emotions. He cried. He wept. I mean, the, right, the, just in case you're ever on Bible trivia, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. So we see his wide array of emotion, and the authors of the Gospels and first eyewitnesses recorded that. They wanted to, to, to be able to write down the emotions of Jesus. So we do need to pay attention to it because your Savior did as well. 
There's also another ancient Jewish book from the Old Testament and the original Orthodox Bible, and the book is called the Book of Tobit. And yeah, maybe I am sharing this example because my newborn son is named Tobias, but in the Book of Tobit, which is in the original Orthodox Bible, Tobit, the, the dad, is super depressed and grieving, just his financial state, the state of his family, and he's grieving, and he pours out his emotions to God. And you can check it out. It's called the Book of Tobit. And he's pouring out his emotions. His son's name is Tobias, by the way. And you can see all of his emotions in the book, and he's, he's pouring it out. So the church, the fullness of the first century church, wants us to process our emotions. But our American go, go, go culture does not want us to. We want to celebrate someone, move on, and get, get along with the show, and we don't want to process, right? And sometimes we over-spiritualize it. We don't want to process our emotions, so what's our go-to statement? Thank God, thank God, thank God. Again, don't misinterpret me, please. Yes, we do thank God, because he has our life in, in his palm, and he knows what's best for us. But we do, we, need, we do need to process our emotions at the same time. So I need to pay attention to my grief. Phase two. So that's phase one. Phase two is I need to wait in between. One thing comes between all of us, we will experience grief. If we have not already, we will experience grief. Another thing that's common between all of us, we hate waiting. We hate waiting. If that thing is not pulling up on our phone, we're going to press refresh. That thing's not working, turn it off. We hate waiting, right? We do everything. We hate waiting. We want convenience. We want overnight shipment. We want delivery. We want everything. We hate waiting. We all hate waiting. But this is an essential muscle that has to be built within us in order for us to attain emotional health, that we have to wait in between. This is where the pain is, is for us to be able to wait. But you know what? We're in great company. We're in great company to be able to wait. If Moses, Abraham, Joshua, you name it, all the great heroes who leaned in toward God in their identity, leaned in toward God, if they waited, and here we are talking about them centuries later, then you and I are in great company. But we need to wait in the middle and wait for God to work within us as we pour out our emotions and pay attention to it. Let me share this with you. For those who might not be familiar, in the Orthodox tradition, as we celebrate the life and burial and resurrection of Jesus, we take that super serious. And we do not just celebrate the fun and, and good stuff of Palm Sunday and the fun and good stuff of Easter. And again, there's no, no, with all respect and honor to every, every expression of Christianity. But the fullness of this pre-denominational Christian Christianity, which I'm talking about, we process, we pay attention, and we wait as we grief. Think about this. On Good Friday, I mean, the events of Good Friday if you really look at it just at a chronological level, maybe just a couple hours. But we stretch it out for us to be able to process our grief, for us to be able to, as we walk with Jesus, we say, yours is the power, yours is the glory. We walk with him. Even if you look at the music of the church, the hymnology of the church, we, we process our grief as well. We process our emotions through the hymnology of the church. So we're, we're, we're waiting, we're processing, we're, we're carefully paying attention to our emotions even through liturgical worship. So this is why throughout Holy Week, we process our emotions as we walk with Jesus with every single step, not just get to the highlights and just move forward. Yes, that, that's America for you. No, but we process every emotion. This is why, <laughs> I remember in high school, I was at a, 
I went on some trip. Uh, I think I, went some, I was in chorus when I was in high school. And I missed a Holy Week because I was on this trip. But I felt super weird because, like, I think I was home for, like, the week before Palm Sunday. And then I came back right before Easter. And I felt super weird. I felt like I missed something. Like, I felt like it was at a high note at church. I leave, and then I come back at a high note. I felt something was missing, that I felt like I was not there to go through the journey of going at a high and going through the low, processing my emotions and worshiping my Savior through all of it. I felt something was missing. This is why I love the Orthodox Church. Because of all of that, the, the, the atmosphere of the church, the hymns of the church, our attire, our diet, everything is there to help process our emotions for us to be emotionally healthy spiritually. Wait in the middle. Wait in between. And that's Good Friday. Forget about even Bright Saturday. When we're up all night processing that transition to phase three. Put on the new. We have to put on the new. I'm, I'm saying all of this. Is that all of this doesn't happen within 10 minutes or happen within 10 months. This is, is a, it's a continuous cycle. For us me to pay attention to my emotions as I grieve, I need to wait in between, and I need to put on the new. Because what gives us hope when we're grieving is that this is not the end. What gives us hope when we are grieving as this is not the end? My friends, please pay attention to this because I cannot tell you how many people drift away from God through grief, through pain, and they say, God took this person out of my life. I'm done. This is a big spark in post-Christian America. It's because when people grieve, they feel like God should be doing only good things for those who love him. I'm a good person. I do X, Y, Z good. I asked God to heal this person. That person was not healed, so I'm done with God, and I'm done with his church. But you have to know what gives us hope. Hardships will come. Pain will come. Death will come. But death is not the end. What we say in the Orthodox service for, for funerals, for when a male passes away, we read a, a, a letter that St. Paul wrote to the city of Corinth in Greece. He, and you can see his emotions in the way he's writing because he's so redundant, and he's repeating himself. He says, my grief is nothing. I'm totally paraphrasing here. But my grief is nonsense if the resurrection is not a real thing. Like, what, what helps me cope and find consolation? What helps me find consolation is that there is an age to come. Why? Because of the resurrection, because of there being an empty tomb. Everything hinges on that. This is what helps me in phase three for me to put on the new. This is what I'm aiming for. So this is why at every funeral, at your funeral, at my funeral, at my funeral, I mean, not to scare you, at my funeral, you are, going to, you are going to chant, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. You will chant these words at my funeral because this is what we're aiming for. We are looking east. Even the expression, even a body, the body in whom we are honoring, the body of someone who is at, at, at the altar of God, that, that the body is facing toward the east. Does it matter? No. But it's to remind us we are all looking toward the east. We're all looking toward the resurrection. This is what we're aiming for. This is what helps us to put on the new. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. Is a tradition in Orthodoxy is that the third day after someone passes, family friends might get together at someone's home, and the priest might come, and there is this ancient prayer for us to find consolation and find comfort in grief. At the third day, the church is encouraging us to process our emotion. Slow down, pay attention to your emotions, process it. This is what the church says. The church doesn't say, all right, well, you know, he's in heaven, he's in a better place, let's move on. No, the church doesn't say that. Maybe you and I say that to someone because we don't know what to say. 
oh, he's in a better place. It's okay, move on. You know, God will come. And we don't know what to say. Who, who in a better place? Is that person in a better place? Okay, yeah. But we don't need to, like, we still need to process our emotions. And I just want to share with you. I was looking at the prayers. I, was like, I started to ask myself this week, what does the church, like, what's so unique about a third-day prayer to give us consolation, to give us comfort in grief? What does the church, what is this 2,000-year-old church, what are the prayers that are being prayed? And I want to share with you. The church intentionally selects a certain psalm, Psalm 68. And I want, you, I want to read the psalm to you in which the church gives us on the third-day prayer for us to find comfort in the passing of someone as we grieve. Save me, O God, for the waters have come into my soul. I am stuck fast in deep mire, and I am unable to stand. I am come unto the depths of the sea, and a storm has overwhelmed me. This prayer is chanted. This psalm is chanted. We feel in despair when we're grieving. But I need to pay attention to that. Another part of that psalm, in which is prayed at a third day prayer to find consolation. Hear me, O Lord, for your mercy is good. According to the multitude of your compassions, look upon me and turn not away your face from me, your servant. For I am afflicted. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh to my soul and redeem me how beautiful for us to take the words of someone who is so emotionally healthy and we capture those same emotions those same words and the church is literally telling us chill it's okay let it out pay attention to it wait in between we are in the process of putting on the new grief and loss teaches us to let go Grief and loss teaches us to surrender, to let go. It teaches us to be able to say in the Lord's Prayer, not my will, but your will. It teaches us, to, as we pray liturgically, manage my life as you seem fit. It teaches us to move that as we go through these processes. Yes, is there denial? Yes. Is there guilt? Yes. Is there I want control? Yes. But eventually, as I go through this process, it eventually leads me for me to be able to let go as I process my grief. It softens my heart. It will naturally soften. Yes, is there hardening of heart? Is there bitterness? 100%. And that's okay to go through. But it eventually needs to lead for me to be softened. This, when I go through this process at a psychological level, when I go through this through a spiritual level, and I, and, I, and I bridge the gap between the two, then it allows me to put on the new. Then it will eventually soften my heart. There was a great, 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 great quote from the book that's basing this entire series in which uh, the author says this. The degree to which we grieve our own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of the compassion we can offer to others. One more time. The degree to which we grieve our own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and quality of the compassion we can offer to others. When we go through pain and grief and a loss, the comfort in which we are able to give someone else through, that's going through a grief is tremendous. It's more important than any textbook, more important than anything else. When we're able to, 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 from our own pain through our own grief, we're able to comfort someone else. This, my friends, is the power of the church. When we go through it, we're able to, in direct proportion, show compassion to someone else. Because we get it. We get there. This, I, I have, like, just, <laughs> even right now, like, I have a one-week-old uh, uh, son. The mom, when, I, when they ask, how's Sarah doing? Like, when, when, guys, 
with all respect. You guys, when the guys ask, how's Sarah doing? I'm like, good. They're like, all right, cool. When, I, when, a, when a mom asks, how's Sarah doing? Good. Is she in pain? Is she able to get any sleep? Are you, are you helping to feed? You are more sympathetic because you understand that pain. You understand because you're, you're, you're there. You're, you're, you're more emotionally leaning in toward that question. So for us, when, we, when we're grieving ourselves, going back to the topic, okay, when we're in grief, when we're in pain, we're able to sympathize with someone so much more. This is the power of the church. I cannot emphasize this enough. It's not just about the coffee. It's not about just the talk. It's not just about liturgical worship. All that is important. All of that is essential. But for us to open, this is, I cannot emphasize enough, and I'm preaching to the choir for those who are in life group. This is why we need to lean on each other. Like, this is the power of the church. What, what, what threads us all together is the one who said, I am the resurrection. In that last supper in which Jesus had with his disciples, and the first century church gives it a formal title of it being called the mystical supper. The mystical supper. And as these 12 ordinary men are gathered around, and Jesus is opening his heart to them. He gives them a very logical explanation of something. He tells them this. Verily, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I'm sure those guys were like, huh? Are we talking about alcohol? What are we talking about? Are we talking about what are we talking about? But Jesus is, 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 is foreshadowing what will come, that death leads to resurrection. This is what we're aiming for. So for us, when we are processing grief and we need to go through these emotions and not to skip apart and not just to jump, that as we go through this pain, as we analyze our brokenness, for us to put on the new, but the new is not theoretical. The new is not just celebrating someone's life. The new is the reality of there being an empty tomb. And that resurrected Savior tells you and me, I have come to make all things new. Processing grief moves us in the direction of being emotionally healthy. Let's pay attention to it. Let's wait. Because it will give birth to the new man. Let us stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you have beautifully created us with emotions for a purpose. Lord, you never forsake us, and you never leave us, even though at times we do feel like that through our pain and through our grief. But as King David wrote and beautifully articulated, that even though we might feel that you have abandoned us, we know that you never forsake us and you never leave us. Lord, if there's some of us now that are grieving, and for sure it's just a matter of time until we are grieving at some stage of our life, Lord, I pray that we can put this into practice for us to attain this emotionally healthy spirituality, for us to process how we feel, for us to attain the richness of your first century church in which you have given us 
for, and through, through the liturgical rites of the church, as we go through our emotions and walk with you, Lord, we do not want this to be true just liturgically, but we want this to be true in our own hearts and through our own brokenness as we process loss and grief. But we hold on to you because you have guaranteed us we will have hardships, but you have also told us that you will overcome the world and we surrender ourselves to you. You are the hope of us all. You are the life of us all. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.